0: And Lisa, here we discuss the ups and downs of working in the field of early childhood education. So listen, hopefully learn, and enjoy. We would like to acknowledge with gratitude that
1: we live, work, and learn on the unceded and traditional territories of the Coast Salish, Kwikwetlem, tsleil Squamish, and Stolo peoples. So,
0: ECE early childhood educators versus babysitters. What is the difference why is it important to differentiate the two and why do educators get so angry every time you call us a babysitter
1: yes definitely one of the biggest turnoffs when i meet a person is when i tell them what my profession is and then they immediately say oh you babysit it's like i don't even want to have anything to do with them anymore
0: and And, this is why (laughs) and you know what my my own self-reflection is I can't blame people for thinking this way. It's so embedded in our society that you literally are fighting so hard against years Generations. and years of that belief.
1: Yeah, and it's time to change. It's, it's time to educate people on what we do
0: it, and why we do it. And this is another reason why we've created this podcast is because we want to get all these misconceptions about education and early childhood educators out into the open. Absolutely. And this is a great platform where if you as an educator are so sick and tired of hearing this same thing over and over again, maybe we can give you a couple of tips on how to be able to really stand up for yourself.
1: Kayla received an amazing quote from one of her friends, and I'm going to read it out loud and then let Kayla really dive into the meaning behind this. And the quote is... ECE is an education profession that has basis in child psychology and instruction all wrapped up with
0: love. And I don't think there is another better way to be able to really say what it is that we do. Um, We, education does start as early as infancy and even before then. And I think that, again, we have to kind of dive deep into the idea of what do people think education is? Education can be pretty much summed up into, are you learning your ABCs? Do you know your one, two, threes? Do you know your color? And there almost needs to be a very concrete and specific outcome Outcome out of, yeah. out of whatever it is that you're supposedly learning. Yes. And I think this is why academic education or academic Curriculum is favored because there is a more clear concrete version to say Oh, I know how to count to ten or I know how to Identify my letters or I know the colors of the color wheel and again This is not to say that that's not important could because we should know those very simple foundations of you know, of uh, reading, of math, of whatever.
1: Of identifying. And those are embedded in every child
0: care center you go into. 100%. And the greatest example of this is what is the first way you learn your alphabet? You sing it. That's right. And who sings it to you? We do. That's right.
1: And if you're lucky, sometimes we'll even sing it backwards.
0: That's if you're really lucky. That's very I have a felt board story and I always <laughs> follow my felt board story because I can't do it by memory.
1: So what we want to talk about is what the difference is between babysitters and educators. So let's start with babysitters. Babysitters show up at your house. You're all ready to go out as a parent. You're all ready to go out as a caregiver. Have a good time. Take your night off away from your kids. Potentially not have to
0: put them into bed unless you've done that already for your sitter. And just have a good time. Have that glass of wine. Take a break. Reconnect with your partner. Reconnect with your friends. And take that time off for yourself knowing that there is a body in your house watching your child. And that is what a babysitter does. They are a body. They
1: are just somebody there to make sure your child is safe. And they are breathing as they sleep in their bed. Which they've slept in night after night after night after night until you gained enough confidence in that person for you to also leave the house and just have them there with your kids. That's right.
0: Now, personal experience babysitting. I only really babysat up until I think I was maybe 15, 15, 16 years, 15, cause then um, I got my first job. And literally it was just that I would show up to someone's house, you know, it was a parent. Maybe I would have to like slap, you know, throw some chicken nuggets in the oven (laughs) if they hadn't eaten or if I came a little bit earlier and it was my job to give them dinner and put them to bed. But it was always so simplified and the parents were gracious enough and understanding enough to know that I was a teenage girl. I have no experience being you know, uh, a primary caregiver. It's very much about, okay, I trust this person enough to be with my child for X amount of hours that they're going to be capable of making sure that they're fed, and you get very concrete instructions. Okay, yes. after they eat, they need to brush their teeth. This is their toothpaste, this is this. This is their bed, they like to have a book read to them. Just make sure that they're in their bed sleeping. <laughs> And then once
1: the child is in their bed and sleeping, you have free reign to do whatever you want.
0: And yes, mainly whatever you want. These kids babysitting nowadays are so lucky because they have Wi-Fi and stuff. We yeah. did not, I did not have that when I was babysitting. If I was lucky, I, had a really, I did sit for this really nice family that anytime I would come over, they would make sure that there was chips, that there was candy, and there was stuff because the mom was like, I remember when I babysat, which was like maybe in the seventies and she would say like, you know, I would literally just sit there and twiddle my thumbs cause I was bored. So this parent was like so gracious. She's like, have snacks, you can use the phone. Cause again, we did not have cell phones. So if you wanted to call somebody, you would have to ask if you could call someone from the landline.
1: For me, I still continue to babysit and I love it. But the time that I'm there, I go in, I give the kids dinner, like you said, put them to bed. And then for me, I either put on Netflix or I'll honestly use the time to just work on schoolwork and do
0: other things that are time consuming while I'm there. And I think when you finally become a qualified educator, the idea of even yourself um, making the distinction between babysitting and when, when you're a babysitter versus you're an educator, you really need to... Figure out why, or not even figure out, but you need to make clear why those are different. Yeah. Your educate your educator per, your educator purpose hat or yeah. whatever you want to call it and your babysitter hat are two different people.
1: Yeah, it's very true, and that's something you need to make clear with yourself and make clear with the families because there can't be any. Crossover with what's happening in a center if you're babysitting a family that's from that same center. Mm -hmm. There's no talking about other children. There's no talking about incidences during their day. There's no talking about anything except for what you
0: you are particularly doing in that household. And even babysitting when you are an educator, when it comes to your own personal center that you work in, that's a very touchy subject. And parents will approach you and ask for you to babysit their child. And I mean why wouldn't they? You're already with them most of their, you know, most of the days. You're somebody that they trust. You're somebody that they know. And most importantly, you're somebody that the parents trust because they know that you have the qualifications to be with a child. And And, more
1: importantly, the child is excited at the fact that you are the one that's going to be there.
0: uh, Yeah, totally. And again, that's a very touchy subject and not many centers will allow their educators to babysit for their families there are very strict policies on crossing those professional boundaries because our time is our time and I know many educators myself personally I have worked in centers where it was okay there was no policy on whether or not we were allowed to babysit the children that we cared for during the day and I made that decision to say you know what when I I don't want my professional life to cross into my personal life and I don't want those two worlds to merge. So that was my reasoning for saying no, even though it was open to me. And I did really have such a great bond and connection with those families that did approach me, but I never wanted to cross that boundary. And it is kind of nice when you do work in a place where you're able to say, I'm sorry, this is against policy. It is because then it
1: really gives you a backbone as to why you can't do it. but for me, on the flip side of what Kayla said, I don't have a problem babysitting for families that I work for. And for me, it's not something that I go around and advertise to all families. I'm very selective, and I have to have known them for a really long time. But you have a choice to say yes or no to anybody. So I think it's really important that you just establish your own boundaries about what you're comfortable with. And if there is no policy within your center about babysitting to at least have a discussion with the director or your head supervisor about their thoughts on babysitting for families and what their take is before you let any parent or any family engage with you on that level.
0: That's a good way to put it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the next thing we want to talk about is the quality of care and What educators do, why we do it, and the huge difference about why we are on one end of the spectrum and babysitters are far, far away on the other end of the spectrum.
0: And I think a big part of that is what are your education requirements? Yes. So for working in the early childhood field, you
1: do have to have post secondary schooling. Yes, you do. Um, A lot of the times, I know you can get an assistant certificate, but Most centres require you to have a full certificate or diploma for early childhood so that you have the ability to be left alone with children or to take a group of children outside. And then going from there,
0: you can even move up and go get your early childhood education degree. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the other things to that too is what is the benefit of continuing that education? Because in order to be able to work with a younger and younger age group it requires more schooling it requires a greater sense of knowledge as to how is it that i'm going to help these little people mm-hmm. be able to really get to their developmental milestones or how might how can i create education and learning for this specific age group and this specific time and development and the specific age. For early childhood, it's not just flat across the
1: board, go to school, get out, get into the field, boom, you're done. And this is something Kayla and I mentioned in our first podcast, is that this field is evolutionary. And likewise, so should be the education that we take upon ourselves in order to improve what's happening within a center.
0: hmm and this is also one of the reasons why we continue these educations and why why with each step and each, I can't even speak right now, <laughs> why with each um, new hat you put on, why you have to dive deeper and deeper and deeper into this idea of education and development. So for example, when you're talking about somebody who has their assistance license, Many times these people are, have just the basic to be able to work usually in an out of school program. And mm-hmm. if you're lucky, if you're still choosing to go to school to get your early child, early childhood education certificate, which will qualify you to work with children in between the ages of three and five, you might be able to still work with that age group. But what you are and what you are not allowed to do is extremely limited and extremely it's, and it's for safety reasons. Yeah. So usually when you're, when you have an assistant license, you basically go through a very basic, okay, how do I make this room approachable for the children that I'm working with? Pay attention to what they're doing. What is health and safety? Yeah. And that's as far as it will go. Yeah. And then once you dive a little bit deeper and you start getting your certificate to become a three to five educator, then you're going to dive a little bit more into, okay, what is development? What are the different types of play? Why are these different types of play important? Um, And then you're also
1: given more responsibility with what can take place while you're with the children, while you are on the floor as a supervisor. This might look like taking a group of children because if you're working in a three to five center, it's important to note that Our ratio for staff to child is one staff for eight
0: children. That's a lot of little people that you're responsible for. That is a lot of little people. And you need to know what, how they communicate. You need to know what makes them upset, what makes them happy. Can this child work with this child? How do I communicate my point home to this child? The way that I talk to him might not be the same way that I talk to her. You need to be able to pay attention and really know the individual child. You cannot treat children as though they are all the same person. And that's eight individual
1: childs. Now listen to this. When you have infant toddler and you're between the infancy and two and a half years, usually two and a half years of age, the ratio is one educator to four. Now I know what you're thinking. Oh, four is a lot. A lot smaller you're right but they're toddlers they are two-year-olds their communication is a
0: lot more limited it's they're lot lot usually limited. nonverbal. there's a lot of crying because crying is a form of communication and you need to figure out what they're trying to say to you without using words and there's a lot of physical de- development that happens
1: in infancy and when you're a toddler so
0: much falling so much trying to learn your own body you're growing into your own self and imagine now
1: even less than that you're an educator and you have four babies
0: that you're now with and that in itself is so much harder especially because they require so much of you physically so when we say we're not babysitters we
1: are not babysitters we are educators that have to take care of and can take care of four babies by yourself like that is what you're working towards is to be that responsible person in the room That can care for their safety and enact a curriculum and make sure that they're all happy and just you know knowing the individual child it's a lot to juggle it is
0: and not only that but i think this is also another misconception care is a form of curriculum yes if children do not feel safe if they do not feel valued if they do not feel cared for they are not respected you know you're not you're not showing this child that you know what you're worthy
1: Yeah, you're worthy of my attention. Yeah. And another thing here is when you are, once you're in whatever grouping you're with, you are not sitting idly by, daydreaming into the sky, going on your phone. You're active. And active doesn't have to mean you are right there in the moment, hands in the sandbox with the child. That's not what it always means. Sometimes it means stepping back from a situation situation, observing intentionally and seeing what is coming out of or what is being cultivated within play of a certain group of children.
0: And I think that's a really good point to drive because even within ourselves in this profession, in this career, there is, especially when you're new in the especially when you're new, you feel like you have to be on. Yes. You know, if I'm not talking, if I'm not doing things, if I'm not, constantly saying or acting or whatever I'm neglect I'm neglecting my my job which is not true and this is something else that you learn as you continue your education especially when you're diving deeper with younger and younger children and children with special needs You need to be able to sit back and watch what it is they're doing with the intention of asking yourself okay what can I learn about this child through the through what they're doing? Absolutely. Intention is so key, and that's
1: that's something we both face with other educators too. It's you can see who is just watching for the sake of watching because they don't want to be actively engaged, and you can tell which educators are using that time to really understand what's happening and the interrelationships of child with material of child with child of child with educator with all the things outside of them that they are interacting with Mm -hmm. and i think that has a lot to
0: do with play and and i think that's again one of the other misconceptions is that we sit around and we watch children play and then it comes back to the question is well why do we watch children play why do we value children playing why do we consider play as a form of research? What is the purpose of watching children and their play? Why do we pause? Why do we take intentional pause? And I think there's a like I said, there's a big misunderstanding and cynicism when we uphold the title of educator. And again, it's because many people believe that childcare is a place where children just go to play all day. And we, again, just watch this and not understanding that through this play we learn so much about the individual child
1: play unlocks things and invites children into thinking in new ways which ties directly into curriculum development by the educators and that's not to say educators are solely in charge of curriculum but that curriculum is drawn out through the interactions of children and what they're working with what material they're working with something that's happening with a child in clay is could be very different from something that's happening with a child in the block corner that's building. And it's those moments that you really have to pay attention to and listen to, not only for verbal cues, but like with the infant and toddler age group, physical bodily cues about what's being generated in that moment. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think too, like even just by paying attention to how does this child pick this up? Are they able to pick this up? How do they hold a pencil? Can they hold a pencil? Can they put this in this? Can they do this to that? And that tells us so much about their physical development even and you know fine motor skills and gross motor skills. And that, again, you know, when we're able to really watch what children are doing, we are then able to sit together and say, you know what? I've noticed that so-and-so has a very hard time holding a paintbrush. And it's not that they do not want to use the paintbrush and they would rather use their fingers, it's that they physically cannot hold it. How am I gonna support this child in learning how to hold this? And that's major because if you think about it, these are the little steps that are going to help us eventually in the rest of our lives. If I cannot grasp something, how am I going to refine these skills so that when I get into the school system, I can, I can hold something so that I can write my name, so that I can learn my ABC, so that I can learn how to write and identify the alphabet that the teacher's trying to teach me.
1: And that sort of goes right into what I find is a very sort of teeter-totter subject for me of kindergarten readiness which is maybe something we should discuss on another podcast. Episode. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> kindergarten <laughs> readiness
0: is very very hot topic. Yes.
1: And but I agree with that. We're here to support them, support them to be able to uncover their own understandings about things and if they need to be able to hold a pencil or hold a paintbrush in that way, how do we work that into all aspects of the classroom? Mm-hmm. Not specifically here, let's sit down with the paper and practice, no, this is how you hold it. Let me physically show you how to hold it. It's how do we create opportunity for engagement with those specific things of all sizes? Yes. Small paint large paintbrushes.
0: you know, and, and the- trying to think of anything round and That you can work with and hold on to. And even certain things like muscle development around the jaw. When we're talking about infants. Well, you know, why is it important to give them solids? Why do we give them these little pieces of food? Well, because we need to develop these jaw muscles so that they're able to speak. Because if these (laughs) muscles are not developed, then maybe there's a harder time for them to be able to be verbal later in life.
1: Yeah, and I... Like we said, we're there's so much more going on behind the scenes of early childhood than what you think is happening in early childhood, and this is why we're talking about the difference between educating and babysitting because it's so far removed from me from one another.
0: It is, and like I said, when we are in school, when we're in post secondary, like I don't know about you, but It drove me insane to have to learn about all the theorists and psychologists and the the science behind development from conception to birth to, okay, how is this going to, you know, how is this going to affect this child later on? Like if something goes wrong in the womb, how does that affect this child later on? How am I going to be able to support that consequence, be it negative or positive? and again you know even having to sit there and read about john piaget and what his beliefs were when it came to childhood and why did sigmund freud have these ideas of the psychosexual analysis which by the way i really hate
1: (laughs) well this is the thing there's so much behind the scenes and even though a diploma doesn't take a significant amount of time to get compared to getting you know a a degree plus getting your teacher license for like elementary or high school. There's a lot that's packed into that short amount of time. And there's a lot that you need to constantly review because like you said, there's so many different theorists and so many ideas about early childhood, which is ever changing, that you need to stay current and stay aware of what's
0: happening. And not only that, but it's not even just so much about, okay, how does this play or how can I see this theory in my practice or can I see what so-and-so was talking about when this child does this this and that it's also as advanced as having to look at your classroom and say why is this classroom not working for these children yeah why do I need to change it do I need from what I'm seeing in these children, I'll give you a I'll give you an example. Um, about a year and a half ago, we had a very boisterous group of children, um, all under the age of two and a half. So that's a lot of little people running around, and they have so much energy. Like if I could bottle the energy of like even an ounce of what those two year olds were. I would never need coffee again a day in my life. And those of you who know me know that I have a bad coffee addiction. I think most educators have a bad coffee addiction. I think you're like the exception to this To this rule. I haven't hit that level yet. Which is amazing, and I don't know how you do it. It'll happen one day. There you go. Um, but as I was saying... And so we had all these very boisterous children and we were seeing that they were running into the furniture, they were getting hurt, they were trying to climb over everything, they were always in each other's space. And we had to sit down and literally say to ourselves, what the heck is going on? And how is this room creating these situations that are making the day harder and tougher? Mm Mm-hmm. And we had to, eventually what we ended up doing was, I think we removed like half the furniture, half the things in the classroom. And we basically made our classroom a climbing classroom. Nothing was off limits for climbing because the main thing that these children were communicating to us through their actions was our bodies want to climb. And this classroom is not designed for me and my needs. Shout out to all the classrooms and all the educators
1: that enjoy and engage in risk play because I personally love risk play. I I think it's so important and so vital in this field. It's the best thing that you can give children. Um, That's a great example of how you can just, it's still safe. Let's make that clear. It's still safe.
0: We didn't put a bunch of random things in there (laughs) and be like, okay, go for it. And then had broken legs.
1: (laughs) This is an example of educators, as you said, putting on the hat of architects. Yes. And reworking the room. We literally. For the group of children that
0: you know you have. You know these children. You know what you need to do for them. We literally pulled our couch out. We put pillows all around and we're like, all right, if anyone falls, there's a barrier. And somebody always has to sit here and watch. Um, we got these massive things so that they could push them all around the classroom. We, there was no limitations as to, okay, if the chairs are all done being used for mealtimes and they're all clean, the children would just grab them and put them in the middle of the classroom and create choo-choo trains. And they loved it. And there was less behavioral issues for lack of better words. Nobody was frustrated. You had less children being angry hitting each other, always in each other's spaces, because now they were getting what they needed. They had the space.
1: They had the time. There was a flow within the classroom that just cultivated
0: a healthy atmosphere for their bodies. Yes. And most importantly, we were not getting frustrated because we were listening to what they were telling us. And I think that, again, is another big point. Communication. We understand that children, especially infants and toddlers, cannot say to us, I want to climb this or I want to do this. And this is like, they're not going to articulate what their needs are in the same way that you and I are. And I mean, for the records, most adults could really, <laughs> really learn how to articulate what their needs are. But that's a whole other subject. That, that is a whole other subject. It yeah. is our job to literally try to, it's like trying to read Morse code. Okay. Through all this screaming, through all this jumping, through what, this. What are you trying to tell us? What are they trying to tell us? Yeah. And not every person can do that because you come into a classroom and you see a bunch of children, you know, being boisterous, being frustrated, hitting each other. Any other adult or babysitter is just going to get frustrated and say, oh my God, these are bratty children. Yeah. And it's not. It's a form of communication. And And this is what we're trained to
1: understand. This is why we're educators and not babysitters. So if you do want a babysitter, go for it. We encourage it. Take the time off from being with your kids because we as educators, more than anybody else,
0: understand that you need to have a break. Yes, parents need breaks. They need date nights. They need time off and there is no shame. I would like to drive that out there. There is absolutely no No shame in parents saying, I need a break. So please do it.
1: Hire babysitters, have your time out, but remember the educators that are taking care of your children, that are working with your children, that are learning with your children, are not sitting by watching play, but they are finding ways to cultivate an environment where children
0: get to thrive within their play and what they're learning about. And most importantly, we want children to be the best versions of themselves and to be able to reach those amazing milestones that we know that they can reach. Absolutely. So
1: that wraps up this episode on babysitters versus educators. We want to thank everyone for
0: listening this, to this week's episode of ECE Honestly. And again, if you have any questions or comments, please send us an email at ecehonestly at gmail.com or you can always DM us on Instagram at ece honestly. Bye, guys. Bye.